Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Women wrapped up in blankets and they're looking for food. It's the saddest thing I've ever witnessed. Trust is a human emotion. And for some reason, we've embedded trust in social media. I thought about you, but I did get it because you've given us so much airtime. Thank you so much. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning on this Friday of the bank holiday weekend. It's Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan today. Uh, what are you up to for the weekend? Are you going to be going out around the weekend for the jazz festival? I don't think the weather is meant to be great, but hopefully we'll get some breaks in between the showers and we'll be able to walk around the streets and soak up the atmosphere, the lovely atmosphere that we always have during the jazz festival. And we will be looking at what's happening across the weekend later in the show this morning. And I'll be giving away tickets as well to King Kong Company at the Opera House so stay tuned for that. I'm also giving away a teeth whitening kit later in the show. Um, Of course it is Halloween as well coming up so we're going to be talking a lot about Halloween on the show this morning and if anyone has any spooky Halloween tales that they'd like to share with us they can get in touch the usual way. The number is 083 396 96 96 or the text WhatsApp number is 083 396 96 96 Did I just give that away as the phone number as well? It's 0818 96 96 96 for the phone and the text or WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. I'll get it right, I swear. Anyway, we were talking about Halloween and I have Cork's biggest Halloween fan to kick off the show this morning. Ashling O'Mahony, good morning. Hello, Ashling. Good morning. Hello, Ashling. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. How are you? You must be like a child at Christmas, are you? Because this is your favourite yeah. time of year. <laughs> yeah, I say this is my Christmas. <laughs> what is it about Halloween that you love so much? Um, I love being frightened. <laughs> I just I just get a kick out of it. It's like, I don't know, I just feel alive. <laughs> and when you say you love getting frightened, is that by watching scary movies or is it by uh, getting all dressed up with the, the ghouls and goblins and all that kind of stuff? It's definitely a bit of both. And where does this come from? I have no idea. Um, I, I've always kind of loved Halloween and growing up, I was absolutely petrified of horror movies. Um, and then kind of my late teens, I just kind of got over it yeah. and fell in love with Halloween and horror movies and gore. <laughs> <laughs> and, some um, of the- and then during lockdown, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, sorry. During lockdown, you were saying? During lockdown, um, I started following special effects people on Instagram mm. and thought I'd like to give that a go. And I did. So you like you did. I mean, you know, you've sent us some absolutely amazing photographs of some <laughs> of the work that you did. It's not just a bit of yeah. makeup on the face. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, open wounds, <laughs> cuts yeah. to the head and they look so real. So it's not that you just took yeah. this up as a hobby. You're really, really good at it. So how did that happen? Uh, it's just practice and just like I said watching videos on Instagram thinking I could give that a go and it's just something I I suppose I found easy I looked at it and went yeah definitely I could do that um, 
So then I started making my own um, scar wax so that, you know, it's a lot cheaper than having to constantly buy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then just looking for victims. I mean, um, people to <laughs> try my makeup out on. <laughs> and when you say um, scar wax, like how did you make that? Um, so it's basically uh, Vaseline. Uh, powder or um, flour um, and then you can use your foundation to match it to your skin tone so then hopefully it blends a whole lot easier Um, and you do the same and add a bit of red and then you can do that for kind of inside the scars you know to give you a detail and depth and some of the things like with cotton buds you can do amazing work with cotton buds (laughs) yeah the hand that was cotton buds and like the scar wax I made myself and just fake blood. And then I got this amazing, um, it's thick stage blood. I actually got it in pennies. And um, that's my favourite thing to use then at the end to give it the, the detail and the, the gooiness. <laughs> but Ashley, obviously you have a, a talent for this. I don't know if anybody can just take this up and do it themselves, uh, can they? I, I don't know. I'd say yes, you know, because you can watch tutorials and they're step by step. Mm. Um, like what I say, if I could do it, anyone can do it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, are you into, like, were you artistic before that? Were you into art? Yeah, I would definitely be into art. And I've done kind of design courses and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and I lo- yeah, I love painting, I love drawing, uh, I love creating um, Halloween props. I was up till 12 o'clock last night sewing Ghostbuster patches that I had made onto a Ghostbuster costume for my son. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> so I got a kick out of it. I really do enjoy it. And then his face this morning, he was delighted. So it was worth it. Oh, and that's a lot of the kids went off this morning in Halloween costumes because it's the last day before the midterm break. Yes. and They were allowed to wear their Halloween costumes. Um, now, my, my children, I don't know what way they are this morning because I didn't see them, but I think that there was a mask. <laughs> um, so your kid went off as Ghostbusters. Have you got any tips for people on how they can, you know, get their kids ready for Halloween on, on Monday when they go trick-or-treating? Um, give yourself plenty of time mm. uh, because you can, like this morning, I had to do, my, my other son wanted to go as Spider Ham or Spider Pig. Oh. So he has a Spider-Man costume on, a piggy tail, piggy ears. And then I had to draw a nose, a piggy nose on him this morning. Um, and that took like two or three attempts, you know, and I thought I'll have this done in a second. Yeah. No. So give yourself plenty of time. Use water-based face paints because they come off a whole lot easier. Um um what else that's basically it and and less is more so do the bare minimum take a take a step back have a look and then add you can always add um you can it's easier to add than it is to take away so they'd be my my main three tips and do you have tips i know um, you have a lot of pictures up on your social media Mm -hmm. and we've actually put up some of your pictures on our twitter account now at 96fm.ie um but um what um have you got your own um social media accounts that people can go on and have a look I actually don't. It's on my own private, um, my own personal um, Instagram page, which is Ashina Pina or Ashling O'Mahony. Um, or my Facebook page, again, just Ashling O'Mahony. Um, so, because my husband keeps telling me, you need a page for this, you need an Instagram page for this. So I'll have to get off my bum and uh, get cracking on that. <laughs> and Ashling, I think a big thing as well now is decorating the house for Halloween. I know my kids mm-hmm. had my head absolutely tormented about putting up the <laughs> Halloween decorations. But you have amazing decorations up all year round. 
I keep up. I love snow globes and um, I've got some really, really special and really fancy Halloween snow globes. So they stay up all year and I have one or two skeletons that hang around as well all year. Um, <laughs> and then we just, you know, add the Christmas decorations around the Halloween decorations. Man, it works lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and why do you leave them up all year? Because I mean, I know that a lot of people like to leave because up their Christmas I love decorations. Them but having like I, skeletons in your house all year. <laughs> No, I love it. It's, it's you know, it's part of who we are. We're not your normal, typical family. Um, and, you know, we want our house to look or, you know, represent us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we love Halloween. So that's our thing. Amazing. And your Christmas tree last year, it wasn't any normal Christmas tree. It was superhero <laughs> themed. <laughs> no, it was, yeah, superhero themed. So um, these these little toys, they're called Ushies and they're they're squishy, basically like a, a squishy little figurine. Hmm. Um, so I just sewed uh, thread through their tops of their heads and um, hung them on the Christmas tree. You see, Santa had brought the kids a big set of them the year before. There was 50 of them. Yeah, And we had others kind of thrown around the house. So we collected them all up and I sewed them all and we put them on the tree and it was amazing. And then we had Grogu as our um, our angel. <laughs> <laughs> and do you uh, get dressed up yourself then for Halloween? Do you go around with the kids? Yes, I do. I do. I don't do the gore going around with the kids because, you know, I don't want to frighten any little kids. But yeah. um, a few years ago, a friend of ours had a gig um, in Fred's um, and we went to see the gig and I did the kind of half face falling off and it was just people's reactions, you know, as I walked into the bar. Are you OK? Are you OK? I'm like, yeah, it's makeup. I'm fine. I promise. <laughs> people just get really freaked out. <laughs> and what are you going as this year? This year I'm going as a skeleton, actually. OK, so how do you I do that then? Is it all face well, paint or have you got something made up already? I have um, tights that have skeleton kind of legs on them and they glow in the dark and I've got a t-shirt with skeleton, um, a little skirt and then I'll do my my face and my neck. And where did you get the tights? Because I'm kind of thinking, God, I never actually thought of myself um, this year. I got so them in Tesco. Right. Tesco. But this was like last year, I think, or maybe the year before, but um, Tesco. Okay, fantastic. Or online, you'd be able to get them online now. Obviously, it's a... A bit late now for you this won't year. have them by Monday exactly but for next year for next year brilliant okay yeah. <laughs> and, <For> next week. <laughs> and do you have like a Halloween party in your house then as well or is it just uh, um, I, I used to before Covid it was it was just an annual thing with the kids um, I have three boys um, uh, so yeah it was prior to Covid we had it every year so I, I think maybe next year we'll we'll kick back up again Brilliant, brilliant. I know it is all a little bit, it is fun, isn't it? And I mean, like it is, it is. Uh, a great fun for the kids, but I think adults as well get a great kick out of it. Like even before oh, yeah. I had kids, I know I went to Halloween parties and my husband one year I went as a clown, a scary clown, and I don't think he's ever forgiven me for that. <laughs> you traumatised him he was traumatised <laughs> but it is it's all about good fun isn't it that's it just having a bit of crack and enjoying yourself you know yeah yeah so will you be sitting down and watching a scary movie then as well on Halloween night yeah definitely I think uh, maybe a bit of American Horror Story that's your favourite one is it I love American Horror Story yeah um, on Halloween I love the Halloween movies Um the new screen one isn't that bad either. Okay, yeah, I was just uh, going to ask. So you yeah, haven't seen that, yeah. Yeah, 
it's I I don't want to say too much, but it's uh yeah, it's 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 good. It's it's back up there with the first kind of one or two, you know. Is it? All right, okay. I might uh, watch yeah. that so myself. <laughs> Do check it out. It's definitely worth the watch. Brilliant, Ashing. Listen, enjoy the celebrations over the coming days, and thank you very much thank for joining you. us on the opinion line. And as I said, we have put up pictures of Ashling's artwork. It is amazing, and you'll find them on our Twitter. It's at opinionline ninety six. Sorry, I think I gave the wrong um, Twitter handle there earlier so it's at opinion line 96 and if you have your own um, tips for Halloween or any kind of stories where, where you got dressed up and maybe frightened the living daylights out of people you can get in touch and let us know 0818 96 96 96 text or whatsapp 083 396 96 96 The Takeover on Cork's 96 FM weeknights from 7 on the big drive home we give you the chance to take charge of our tunes join me Lorraine as you decide what songs we fire up You pick what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories with Sophie's Rooftop Restaurant at the Dean Cork. Serving lunch daily over breathtaking views. See sophies.ie. Turn up the music. On Cork's 96FM. Now, we were talking there about Halloween with Ashley and about getting dressed up and... Um, Next, my next guest um, is a Cork author and folklore enthusiast. She wrote the children's book Welcome to Dead Town Raven McKay, and her name is Eilish Cartione. Good morning, Eilish. Hi, Fiona. How are you? <laughs> Very good. I'm looking forward to Halloween now that the evenings are closing in. And what is it about Halloween that you love so much? I think I've always loved it since I was young just the darkness, um, creepy stories. And I think it's uh, just a chance to um, journey into the unknown a little bit and it um, stirs our imagination. And your book um, that you've written, Dead Town Raven McKay, um, it's it's for children. So like, how scary is it? Like, <laughs> well, I think um, children enjoy creepy stories. They like hmm. to be on edge. And I think life can be a little bit mundane. Yeah. So I think... Um, Kids um, just like the thrill of being scared. I think we all do. But in my book, it's about a girl. She's Her parents go missing and she's put into foster care with a distant relative in a town. Yeah. But it's actually a town where the living and the dead live together. So she encounters some um, creepy characters there. And do you have to have a limit on how creepy your characters can get when you're writing a children's book? I think it has to do with the main character. You have to ha- have everything fit. I think there it, it depends on the story, how far you can go. Yeah. Because but I, I just think wonder- you have to have... Yeah, I'm just wondering, some children obviously have a, a very vivid imagination and when they're reading about these characters, maybe it's, uh, you know, it might cause nightmares or whatever, but some kids can take it. And, um, you know, you yourself, you obviously have a great imagination. Did you always have an interest in folklore? I always did, and fairy tales from a young age, like the uh, Little Red Riding Hood, Rumpelstiltskin, Rapunzel. Yeah. But I think that, you know, when you read, when you watch a creepy film or if you read a creepy book, 
I think it's usually a good um, book or a good film if you can capture the real feeling of being scared. Yeah, yeah. And that's all about the characters, isn't it? And how you portray them on the book. Absolutely. And with fairy tales and myths and, and all of that, like, was that something that was part of your family when you were growing up? Like, did your parents read to you? Did your family tell stories? Did grandparents tell stories? No, my grandmother did tell me a lot of stories, like about changelings. And I think the story of the changing really fascinated me hmm. that the fairies might steal a, a baby and leave a changeling. Yeah. as a replacement and she told me that people long ago used to put garlic bread or even pieces of steel near, near the cradle wow <laughs> so um i think also we're a superstitious people and in 1895 there was a man he was he killed his own wife because he believed she was a changeling bridget cleary and i think that was a terrible story yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. where things went far. Went, but it just showed the, the belief that Irish people had in the folklore. But I think it goes back to Bohan Tiak long ago when there was no electricity and there was no TV and people used to gather in each other's houses yeah. and tell stories. And that's where and it I all came from. That, that's where it all came from. And of course, then um, way back in Celtic times, during the pagan festival of Samhain, people used to light fires in the hill of Tara to frighten away evil spirits because they believed on the 31st of October, the veil between this world and the other world was at its thinnest. So people sacrificed cattle and people used to open their doors and leave empty seats for the dead. And they would even put out food for the dead. So I think it all goes back to that. But it's when Irish people then immigrated to America after the famine that they began to celebrate their tradition. And Eilish, when you were a child and you were listening to these stories, like what kind of an effect did it have on you? Were you scared when you were listening to them? Like when you were hearing the stories about the changelings, like did you feel that, you know, that something like that might happen to you as a child? No, I just enjoyed it. I just enjoyed them. I know they were scary, but I think that's what uh, took me in. Yeah. That's what um, perked my interest in them. Like I remember my I old granddad always talking about ghosts and that he always could see these things and he used to talk about seeing ghosts and I used to always wonder like why could I not see, see them? So is it, do you know that some people can see them or that they believe that they can see them? Like do you believe in the supernatural yourself? I suppose the short answer is No. But there are things in life we can't explain. There's a darkness in real life. And the supernatural helps us to deal, I think, with our own fears. Yeah. And I think it's darkness as well. I think it's our seasons. It's about summer ending, the darkness coming down, um, like uh, animals hibernate in winter. I think it's all to do with that as well, this um, Halloween celebration and the old um, festival of sound. But I think it's, um, I mean, there are things that can't be explained. So you can never say never mm -hmm. because you do hear stories. And have you, have you had your own kind of experiences? I've had scare, a few scary experiences where I remember when I was a student, a few of us went to an island and we were staying in a hostel 
Yeah. And there was a, a, a creepy picture in the room. It was a, a, a circus picture. And I remember I just couldn't sleep the night, just the feeling. And I remember the landlady as well, the person who owned the hostel. I found her a little bit uh, creepy as well. Yeah. And just, I suppose, the sound of the waves, just that feeling. That was an experience that I had where I was scared, you know, that yeah. I got a feeling. And I suppose darkness too and the sound. I suppose nocturnal creatures like nocturnal birds make sounds. And I suppose in the darkness of winter, years ago when people were telling stories, those sounds influenced their stories as well. Like owls can make the sound of ghosts. Yeah. So you think that people maybe when they thought they were listening to ghosts, but it was actually owls. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> but then you have different, um, you know, different people. The white lady. Yeah. Like we have a lot of characters Local legends around Ireland, like about the white lady, that's all around Ireland, that she's a female ghost with long white hair. And what and about the banshee then? I mean, a lot of people in Ireland used to fear the banshee. Absolutely. That if you heard the cry of the banshee, someone in your family would die. Yeah. So it was very, and very, very scary. And do you think, do you and believe suppose, like there was a banshee or was it something else that was that people maybe believed was a banshee, but it could have been a wild animal? It could have been. I mean, the barn owl does make that sound, but you can never, mm. when people say things, I mean, Ducas too, the Irish folklore was gathered around the country. They have that in Ducas where folklore was gathered around Ireland from all the parishes, all the ghost stories. So people, these are stories that were told by our ancestors. So yeah. I just enjoyed them. I mean, I'm not sure are they exactly true, but it's it's their version of these stories. And so you, they're important because of that, do you, you know? You yourself have a particular interest in the puka and wicked fairies. Absolutely. Well, I suppose the puka is probably one of the most feared fairy. You, The puka can change into a goat, a goblin. He can make his appearance as that. But usually he's a dark, sleek horse with a flowing mane and golden eyes. And what's very creepy is he can talk like a human. Okay. And where did this fascination come with the puka and the wicked fairies? I suppose it's the forces of good and evil. Mm. And um, there are good fairies, but the, I suppose, I think my grandmother's story about the family who built their house um, on the path to the fairy fort, that did have an effect on me because she used we used to go on walks and she was pointing to the house and it was just a derelict house. But she did explain like where the people, you know, stones were thrown through the window. And in the end, the people just left their home. And I thought it was a very sad story as well that people mm. would have to leave their home. But you will notice too the hawthorn trees, like even farmers who don't actually believe in the fairy world or the mm. other world, they will rarely cut down a... A hawthorn tree, they, you know, they they would they would be too afraid. Why? What does the hawthorn tree symbolise? Well, that is where um, the entrance to the fairy forts were. It was believed that the fairies lived under there. Yeah. And people used to actually put out, you know, at, at on the thirty first of October, people actually put out food by the hawthorn trees. I suppose to please the wicked fairies. 
and hoping they wouldn't get up to divilment in the, in their houses or even at their livestock. They were also afraid the fairies would come near their cattle. It's a fascinating world, isn't it? And it's a fa- like the stories are, are great. It reminds me so much of my childhood and listening to the stories that my grandparents used to tell me. And I haven't heard a lot of them in a long time, but um, it's it's great to hear them, Evelyn. <laughs> Thank you so much. Not at all. Thanks, Fiona. Take care. No Bye. hassle. And your book, of course, um, if anybody is looking to read it, Eilish, it's called The Welcome to Dead Town Raven McKay. And it will be out next year. I'll be out next year. All right, okay. Oh, sorry, I didn't realise that it's only coming out next year. <laughs> I thought it was already out. Absolutely. And Fiona, I wish um, you all a very happy Halloween. You too. That's Eilish Carcione. Good. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the show this morning, Eilish. And of course, the book coming out next year, Welcome to Dead Town, Raven McKay. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork. 96 FM PJ Coogan on the opinion line Silver winner Silver winner Best news story at the Imro Radio Awards 2022 Corks 96 FM Jimmy has been in touch to say welcome back Fiona great to hear you uh, Jimmy and Cove thank you very much Jimmy and Mick has been in touch to say Jesus Fiona we're hearing more of you now than before you left <laughs> I presume PJ's on a play date again ha <laughs> Mick <laughs> but yeah no Mick um, this has been done now for a while actually so <laughs> it feels a bit weird being back after being off for a couple of weeks but um, lovely to hear from you thank you very much and if anybody wants to get in touch we have been talking um, throughout the morning about uh Iha Howen, Halloween. Um, somebody has been in touch to say, good to hear about the tradition of telling children stories about the changeling and the puka. I wonder, do people still do that or would it be child abuse now? Well, Fiona McAuliffe, do you tell your children these kind of stories? <laughs> <laughs> good morning, Fiona Corker, and how are you? I'm very Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I scared the bejesus out of them this morning as they headed off to school in their Halloween costumes. <laughs> what kind of stories were you telling oh. them this morning? <laughs> Tell you, I, I, I'll, the, the story that I'm going to tell you today, Fiona, is the story that I told my girls this morning because we've been up the walls getting ready for a Halloween disco that was on last night. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I, I had worked on this site before. This is actually a true story that I'm going to tell you. But okay, you're, an, you're a former archaeologist, so just let people know that as well. <laughs> Sorry, we should have started with that. Yes, an archaeologist in my in my former days, my, in my youth, and my misspent youth. But uh, I told them I told them the story this morning, and it, it, like a, a parental guidance cut down version, so as not to scare my nine year old and my four year old completely before they go into school. But uh, yeah, they were freaked out by this. I'd say I'm going to be freaking your listeners out now this morning because You're freaking me out, Phil. <laughs> It's based on true events. Okay. I'm telling you, is there is it something about the time of the year, like the feeling of Samhain and that we're surrounded by spirits and stuff? But yeah, I'm totally spooked. Are you ready for this? Yes, go. Hit me with it. <laughs> <laughs> so the story that I'm going to tell you is called, I, I called it myself, The Haunted Road. Right. And it's based on true events 
when I worked up in a place called Tyrrell's Pass up in Westmeath. Now, Tyrrell's Pass is a beautiful little village mm. and uh, the N6 now runs through there. A lot of the, the archaeology work that I did back when I was a gal in 2004 was um, it was funded by the National Roads Authority as part, part of the National Development Plan. So I basically worked on the M7, the M8, the M9, the M6, the M10, the M11, basically all the motorways. Right. Um, <laughs> So this one was on a, a little village called Tyrrell's Pass, beautiful big castle there. And the site we worked on was a Killeen site that was just a Killeen, which is a, an unconsecrated burial ground normally where there might have been the remains of an old church. So people who couldn't afford to be buried in like a fancy, you know, proper church burial would have been buried in these ancient you know, sites where there would have been an old ruin of a church or maybe an area that they knew would have been, you know, maybe a ring fort, that kind of thing, you know, mm. that that would have had some spirituality about it other than just the church, right? Yeah. The name of the townland is called, wait for it, Valley Kilmore. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I thought you'd like that. Now, genuinely, it's called Bally Kilmore. And I got all this information from online on excavations.ie and tii.ie. They're all, it's all online. So it like, you know, if people want to research this afterwards, it's all true, right? Yeah. So anyway, um, in the initial testing around 2004, there was no previous information um, on any of the old maps or any historical evidence of any burial site or any church site in the area. So when the archaeologists went in to test the area, they they discovered the bones and they had not been expecting bones. Do you yeah, get me? Yeah, yeah. They were just literally just doing kind of routine testing of an area as they went through because you have to make sure, like especially with the road schemes, they had like a centerline trench and archaeologists the whole way along making sure that all the any archaeology, be it a Bronze Age cooking pit, a folksfia, um, up to anything that might be like, you know, a ring fort or anything like that, anything of archaeological potential or anything at all, they were making sure that it was safe, right? Yeah. So nobody had any idea. Everyone was very surprised when they found bones in this particular area. Everyone that is Fiona, except the locals. Yeah. All the locals knew that there was a burial ground there. And the amount of visits that we had from local people who called in to see what we were finding because they all knew the road as the haunted road. Um, ghosts had been seen along there. And did this freak you um, out that you were actually working on this site and all this was going on? Well, not at the time because it was so interesting, you know. Mm. And uh, like Fiona, like you know yourself, like as a journalist, when you go into, a, you know, a crime scene or anything like that, you go in with a kind of you have to be the observer. So you have to you have to go in and be scientific about it and not be emotional about it. Mm-hmm. But now when I'm looking back on the evidence, on the stuff that we dug up, I'm actually totally freaked out because I don't have to be objective anymore. And I swear to God, right, I'll tell you what, just a taster of what was found. Um, about there was over 900 uh, individual burials excavated on that site, right? Mm. Um, some of the site was not excavated. It's estimated there was probably about 1,500, maybe more burials, but a lot of it was preserved in situ, which means that it's, you know, safely put away and not touched, um, you know, as part of the preservation of the heritage of the area that we didn't need, we didn't dig what didn't need to be dug. Do you get me? Yeah. 
Okay, so over 900 of the the 900 individuals that were excavated, about uh, 295 of those were adults. 106 of them were juvenile, which is kind of like young child up until teenager. 314 were infant young child burials and 155 were neonate or newborn burials. I'll let that one sink in for a right. moment. Um, so uh, basically, like I when I excavated this, like that was back in 2004. And in light of everything that came out with the tomb babies and yeah. the Besborough babies and everything like that, it just got my mind thinking again, like, hang on a minute. Everyone's blaming the, the Catholic Church for this. I excavated a few sites like this around the country and I went and researched this since. But now I'm after doing even more research, Fiona. It's actually freaky, right? So the, the, the type of burials that we found and in the archaeological report, it, basically it was pointed out that unless you were rich and doing well in life, you didn't, you, you didn't deserve a proper burial, right? Yeah. Let's, let's just say that straight off. So people who couldn't afford to be buried in proper consecrated ground the, you know, they had to be put somewhere. So mm. they had these Killeen sites, our ancient, you know, church sites where they would just, you know, put the dead body, right? And unfortunately and sadly, when a little baby died, they hadn't been baptised mm. and they certainly couldn't afford to be um, spending money on a baby burial back in those days with, when there was so much illness and so much, you know, death was all around them that they would go and bury them in these places. Now, the really sad part is that some people didn't even seem to deserve a proper burial in those situations, which is normally east-west orientation, you know, um, east-west orientation facing the east, which was, you know, east-west is the, the general ritual burial of, you know, if you go into any graveyard in Ireland or anywhere mm. mostly in the world, it's, it's facing east, east-west orientation. Many of these bodies were buried north-south and some of them were buried face down into the ground. And what did that mean if they were buried face down into the ground? It meant that they didn't deserve to go to heaven, oh that they, they were that destined awful, to go it? to hell. Yeah, yeah. And and there is, like I say, there's photographs. I can send you on all these photographs. There's um, loads of photographs of the babies. And do you think that you'd have babies. more of these sites around the country? Absolutely. And it's all online. It's mm. all there. If anyone wants to actually look it up, if anyone actually wants to do the research, um, I, I know you're probably stuck for time now because but so I'm going to try and get to as many of the points as I can. Right. The main point of this right was that um, I was looking up to see any relationship between there was a lot of female burials. There was a lot of infant burials. There was a lot. There was evidence of women at a third trimester pregnancy buried. So, you know, pregnant women yeah. buried as well, right? You know, and, and we found the little baby skeleton in the belly of the mother, it, you know, and, and one actually, one particular example of a mother who seemed to have died in childbirth as in the baby was half coming out. Yeah. So, um, and she was buried in a ditch in not a very respectful position. Again, this is all online, right? But anyway, right? So, um, you know, and the point being that, you know, this was nothing to do with the church. This was to do with local people in the area yeah. burying their dead, right? But the main point is that I was trying to kind of just find out a tiny little bit more of a historical background because I have all the archaeological information 
um, I went to find out a little bit more about the surrounding area. And what did I find only that uh, there was a lady who was a benefactor to the town of Tyrrell's Pass, whose name was Lady Jane, the Countess of Belvedere, who set up at the Belvedere Children's Orphanage yeah. in Tyrrell's Pass from 1842 to 1943. So it was 100 years. And yeah, we were waiting on dates to come back, but... Okay. A lot of them seem to be recent in the last hundred years. So now, God, it's a horrific look at history, isn't it? Um, it's yeah, but it also backs up a ghost story that the locals seem to know about. And you yourself, Fiona, like, do you believe in the supernatural? Do you believe in superstitions, especially after the kind of work that you've done? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'll tell you now, right? I used to, when I worked in archaeology, I were, and a great many amount of archaeologists would be, would have been atheist. And we'd have had a great many religious debates, especially like working on sites like this, like, you know, mm. you're working so close to death. Of course, you're going to start talking about the ritual nature. You're going to start talking about death and spirituality. And I would have been leaning more towards atheist and I would have been sceptical about spirituality or sceptical about ghosts yeah. until a couple of years ago, I started doing a podcast with your very own Piers McCarthy of your parish. All right. <laughs> uh, we did a little podcast called Sweet Velvet Life and we did a Halloween oh, yeah. special uh, where we did a seance down in uh, Kill... Kil- Oh, what's it called? It was Cantor Castle, Kil- wasn't it? I think I remember Pierce talking about that. Uh, Kilke, no, down down towards Bantry. Right. Um, it's a, oh, sugar. The name of the place is after escaping me now. Beautiful little castle down towards, heading down towards Bantry as you're coming from the city. You, you Kil Kilke Kil. I don't know. Anyway, it'll come back. Text to us later when it comes. I'm to sure <laughs> Pierce will tell you. Okay. But we did a séance inside in the castle, and. I was sceptical going in there and at one stage during the seance the table started shaking and there was nothing could have shook that table. We were in a tiny little room of an old part of the castle. There was nothing could have shaken that table. It started vibrating and it started, the vibrating started getting stronger. And See at that point now I would yeah. have been just running out the door, <laughs> jumping into my well, car. But you know, like, <laughs> But you see, like at the time we were kind of, I suppose nobody knew anyone and we were having kind of like a bit of nervous banter and stuff yeah. like that. And this was going on and we were kind of going, geez, that's mad. What's going on there? Yeah. But it wasn't until afterwards that you, again, you're kind of dealing with it that time and you're kind of surrounded by other people and everything's grand. It's not until afterwards you kind of go, whoa, what was that? A listener has so, just been in touch to say, is it Kale Kill Castle? Kale Kill? Kale Kill. That's Kale it. Kale Kill. That's it. Kale Kill Castle. Yeah. There- with ghost... Era was the name of the crowd who did the seance with us. Okay. Shout out to Ghost Era. They were unreal. But uh, the, yeah, just the final part of my haunted ghost story, just linking back to that again, was a lot of the archaeologists on the site did have nightmares at the time. Yeah. Myself included, where we'd be dreaming about bones, right? But one particular one that resonated with me was people get kept having this recurring dream about babies coming to us in our dreams saying, don't forget my toes. 
Oh, babies like neonates bones <laughs> I know babies like neonates babies bones are so tiny that we used to, to take like big massive soil samples so as not to lose any of the bones okay Fiona the, I could yeah. talk to you all morning about this but unfortunately I'm going to have to yeah. leave it there because we have to take an ad break and we have out. to go to the news but listen out. it was lovely yeah I'm totally out. freaked out <laughs> go on good away <laughs> <laughs> love you take care bye bye thanks a million Fiona for that <laughs> The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ this Friday of the bank holiday weekend. We have been talking about uh, Halloween and as I said we will be playing some jazz songs across the week, uh, across the morning and we also have tickets to give away for King Kong Company's gig in the Opera House which is on Sunday night and I'll also be giving away a teeth whitening kit as well with uh, Cork Dental Care so stay tuned for all of that. Now PJ has been talking to listeners about tips and whether people are tipping less since the pandemic. We even heard the story of a party of 25 people who tipped a waitress a measly 10 euro, which works out at about 40 cent each. And PJ, uh, during the discussion during the week, raised the question, should the waitress or waiter get the tip directly? And is it fair to pool tips when some workers might work harder than some of their colleagues? So we said we would put a call into employment lawyer Richard Grogan to get his take on things. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well, Richard. There'll be a lot of people out and about in Cork this weekend, particularly for the Jazz Weekend. So when they are tipping, like, do you think, is it right that um, the tips would go to uh, one person who maybe was waiting on your table all night? Or is it fair that they get pooled and that everybody gets the same regardless of the amount of work they've put in across the night? Well, I think there's an issue here that, you know, if you go out for a meal, and you're making a tip, the person who's serving you the food, there are people in the kitchen who are also preparing that food. Mm. So there's an argument that they're as important as the person who actually puts the food down in front of you. Right. And that they should get some of that tip. So I would take the view that you should be tipping, you know, across the board. And remember now, you know, you go out to a restaurant and it has service charge, 10%. Mm. That's not going to the staff. That's going to the restaurant. And is that right? It's, like, is there any laws around that? <clears throat> oh, yes. The, the law has been changed on this. The restaurant is supposed to have a policy up setting out clearly what the issue is with tipping and service charge. So you should be able to be told if you see service charge, who does that go to? Hmm. That should be very clearly set out. And it should also be clearly set out if you give a tip, that's a cash tip or a credit card tip, who that goes to. Because some restaurants are still putting in, you know, 10% service charge and they're taking it. And that, in my view, is wrong where they're misleading people. And it's, it's crazy to think that it's still going on because I remember one of my first jobs when I was... Uh 
it was about 20 years ago, let's just say. And um, the person who owned the restaurant um, had a service charge at the bottom of the tip. So the waitresses, um, there was myself and another lady there. Um, we didn't get any of the service charge, but she, the owner also worked in the kitchen. So her argument was that uh, she was putting in the work as well. And as you said, the people in the, the kitchen are often forgotten about and um, they should be entitled to some of the tips. But I remember like she had the service charge on at the end of the tip and we didn't get it and we were supposed to divvy up the tips uh, that came in uh, between us but you know a lot of the time people saw the service charge so they didn't leave a tip and like 20 years later that practice is still going on in some places Yes it is and let's put it very simply if I go in to buy a shirt for 15 euro somewhere and somebody says are you looking for a shirt and I go yes I am do you have a blue one and a particular size and the person in the shop goes and gets it for me and I go to the till and they said, that's €15 plus 10% service charge. That's €16.50. You're not going to be very pleased for Mm -hmm. them getting you the shirt and putting it in a bag. Now, the same thing is happening in restaurants where you go in to get a burger that's €15 and you're suddenly charged €16.50 effectively. Mm. Or you get a glass of wine, you know, for a fiver and they add on another, you know, 50, 15%. My view on it is service charge should be either going to the staff and clearly set out or put the proper price for the burger or the steak or the spaghetti bolognese on the menu, but not this hidden cost because a lot of people going in believe that the service charge goes to the staff. So if you're going into a restaurant, you see service charge, ask them, who gets the service charge? And where's your policy on it? They're supposed to have a policy on tips and service charges. And Richard, if there, is no, if there is no service charge and it's just tips and if um, somebody has been waiting on your table all night and has done an excellent job and you decided to give them whatever tip um, you think that they deserved, but they have to put that in a jar at the end of the night. Now, obviously, I, I know you mentioned the people who are working in the kitchen, but if um, somebody else is waiting in the restaurant that night and they really haven't done a huge amount at all, but they're still getting the same amount of tips as that person and and I think PJ made the point that you know there was somebody like that who waited on his table all night long and he wanted the tip to go specifically to that person is there anything that can be done in that situation? Well I think the issue on something like this is that you have to be fair and look at situations you don't know actually what another person waiting on tables is actually doing Mm. whether they're doing equally as good a job that's a matter for the management, and I take the view that realistically the fair way of dealing with this is you've given a tip, you could have got any person waiting on you that evening, and if you're happy with the service, it goes into the tip jar and it's divided up. Because remember, the person who did the excellent service bringing you out your food actually had to get that food from somebody in the kitchen. Mm. And if the person in the kitchen had produced awful food, you wouldn't have been pleased with the dinner. So the person making you your burger was as important as maybe even more important than the person who put it 
on the table. Yeah, that's true. And if the meal is not good, oftentimes it's the waitress then that gets it in the neck from the customer, isn't it? Because you can't well, get access well, yeah. into the kitchen. So. Yeah, when yeah, you go, you know, this burger is cold and he or she has to bring it back. But, you know, when you get a good meal, that's come from somebody doing an excellent job in the kitchen. Mm. And the idea of saying, well, you know, there is equally entitled, in my view, to get portion of that tip because they're also providing a real service and your enjoyment of the night out. Yeah. You know, if you go for a night out with your partner or with your friends and you get, you know, great food in a restaurant in Cork and there are great restaurants in Cork. Uh, Skipperine is my favourite place to go for meals. Uh, and you go there and you get a great meal. Well, the person who's, you know, cooked that meal for me, as far as I'm concerned, is as important as the person who's put it on my table. Indeed they are. Richard Grogan, employment lawyer, thank you so much for joining us on the opinion line this morning and thanks for taking the call. Um, I know your voice is kind of going there a little bit, so thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me on the opinion line this morning. Another issue that has been um, hotly debated across the week is the 6am night club closures. Um, all week long people have been discussing whether the extended nightclub times due to take effect next year will be a good or bad thing for the country. Um, I know a lot of the nightclubs and the publicans have been saying it's going to be a great for, for the sector but a lot of people have been wondering whether or not it'll be good for people who may be staying out until 6 o'clock go home sleep for an hour and then into their workplace at 9 o'clock Finn good morning what's your take on it? Two years ago maybe you're too young the tall ships came to Cork first and there was a blanket extension on all the bars till 4am and there was a great buzz around the town but Looking at it, man, there's been a week or so to, to kind of take it in and see what, what, what the story it is. I think the, the government are trying to bring us up to, as people are saying, like cities on the continent. Mm. So if that's the case, it would work, in my opinion, if you were doing a four-day working week, finishing on no work on the Friday, and then had the late openings Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then an early old closing on Sunday. And that would do two things. A, it would help the staff to get re- re-energised for the following week. And then B, you'd, you'd cut down on abs- absenteeism because people have taken effect. If you've got security on the door, they're not going to be working for a flat rate. They're going to up their... It's going to cost a lot more than people are making out, you know, with the, mm. especially the way the electricity prices and, and you know, the, the cost of everything going up at the moment. But it's a very good idea in the sense that if it was Thursday, Friday... then for a talk's sake every weekend would seem like a long weekend then to people but just not to have it on the Sunday night to cut down on absenteeism in the working place in the morning Do you believe that if we had this um, 6am nightclub closures time right across the week that that's what would happen we would see an increase in absenteeism across other no, I No I don't I don't believe it would I don't think I don't think people are that irresponsible in the sense that they've got a job that they need to go to I don't think it would mm. you would have a certain percentage of people who would say I don't feel like going today I've been out late because let's face it if you're out till 6am in the morning you're not recovered till the following day you know if you go 6am on, on getting home at 7am on a Saturday mm-hmm. morning you're not recovered till Sunday night so you're well, not going to be co- doing it my age now <laughs> it could take a lot longer than one day yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly but it, it's, it's the case of if they if they trialled it in the sense that mm-hmm. if there was a festival like around the time of the marquee or around the, if there was an event in Cork like the jazz weekend this, jazz yeah I was just going to say like this weekend perfect, now coming yeah would be perfect to, to trial it because people are out they know what they're going to they know they've got an event to go to Whereas if you just throw it out willy-nilly, you're going to get people that would say, you know, I will take advantage of this, and you will see problems down the road. 
And do you think that people would, you know, with the extended um, hours, do you think that it's going to cause people to get more drunk because they're going to drink a lot more across a long time? Or do you think that they would just pace themselves a lot more than across the night? Everybody's different. Um, yeah. And I, I, I like, you know, you, you'll get young people that will go to them will think they can be, stay out all night and do that. You get older people who say, do you know what, and we'll meet up at half, 10, 11 o'clock. And you must forget, like, there's a lot of people in the industry, as you were just talking about, chefs, waiters, uh, bar staff that work in restaurants who wouldn't mind going out at midnight for a few hours to, 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 to come down after the day's work. And for mm. them, it's a good idea because if you look at the way, if, if this came out pre-pandemic, we wouldn't be talking about it now because it, be it would be slotted in and done. But if you look at Tom, when we're coming out of COVID you go to town and it's dead it's dead mm. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night so I don't see how if they bring it in in the new year it's going to work and I feel sorry for the for the owners of bars and restaurants well nightclubs and bars that are going to try and have to staff it pay for the costs uh, pay for the security and then wonder God it's 4am um, I'm closing um, somebody turns up at 10 to 5 and they're all cleaned down and say, but your licence opens at 6 there could be problem teething problems but they should trial it on a weekend, i.e. the marquee, the mm. jazz weekend, you know, and, and, and see how it goes. It's probably not a great idea to have it in the new year as well because January and February are kind of the times when people don't really like going out. They like to snuggle up at home. They don't have a lot of money after Christmas. No, it's now really... you are showing your age because people, people will go out no matter what. <laughs> if there's an occasion to go out, they'll go out. But, but there's saying, a lack of occasions in January and February because we've had all our like partying in December. Yeah, but try the example, try it over the Easter weekend, see what mm. happens. And, and then that will, what that would do, in my opinion, is that you get if the event centre ever gets built, you will get a lot more uh, events happening in the city to say, right, you know what, we can go to this, we can finish at 1am, and we know we can roll on someplace afterwards for a few hours, and I think there would be a brilliant buzz around the place. Absolutely. So you think, finally, Finn, that it is a good idea, but just not to have it across the week, to just have it for a Thursday, Friday and Saturday, and to maybe trial it at a time like Easter or the Jazz Weekend or the Marquee, when there's something happening. Yeah, and if eventually we roll into a four-day working week, which I know a lot of European cities do, we mm. would then be up there with them, because people go out on Thursday night and not worry about going to work on a Friday and yeah. have it and don't do it on a Sunday night to get people to recover and back to their jobs on Monday ideal isn't it that sounds like an ideal society for well you know it's not an ideal society but it's, it's, it's our turn because I just think that I think the government have put this through and I don't know why they've done it now when everybody's struggling with bills and struggling with, with the, the cost of living at the moment I don't know why they're trying to do it now they should wait and say right next summer we'll try it for the jazz weekend we'll trial it we'll mm. see what will happen go back to the, the authorities go back to the police go back to the security go back to the vintners and say how do you feel this was not give it to them try it and see you know yeah, because once once it goes through, you can't take it back. Whereas if you try it and it doesn't work, you don't have to roll it out fully. Great point, Finn. Thank you very much for for that. Um, does anybody else agree with Finn? Do you think that um, it would be a better idea to just have it over the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, or would you welcome it across the week? Uh, let us know. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six or oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Or if you have any views on the tipping, you can let us know. Uh, somebody has been in touch here to say, I think that they should not be tipped at all. They're getting a decent wage, not like America. 
Rebecca, would you think of tipping nurses or others? Well, Bear, a lot of people in a lot of sectors do get tipped. Um, you know, I think a lot of people tip their hairdresser, they tip their bin man, they tip their taxi man. I think it's part of our culture now. And a lot of waiting staff don't get a decent wage. I mean, I know it's not like America, but um, a lot of people do depend on their tips for maybe some spending money and their wage then will go towards their bills. And if they're giving you a service, if it's good, then tip them. And if it's not good, then don't tip them. Uh, Helen has been in touch to say, I worked in a restaurant years ago and I got 5% of service charge and we kept our own tips. Thank you very much for that, Helen. And John and Cove says that man, as in Richard Grogan, is giving out good information. The next time I go into a hotel or restaurant, I'm going to pay for what I have eaten and I'm going to deduct the service charge off the bill and I'm going to divide that money equally into the waiter's hands in front of the restaurant owner. The cooks in the background should not be forgotten either. So I would ask that the head waiter or someone to look after them. I think everyone should do that. In that way, then, it will go into the right pockets. Thank you very much for that, John. And again, another very good point and another valid point um, that the, the service charges, Richard was saying, sh- it should be made very clear to all of the customers where that's going. But if it's going um, to the owners and it's not going to the people who are serving you, well, then I think that that's um, a, a crying shame, really. Why did the police get to riots early? Then I to beat the crowd. <laughs> ah, that's very good. <laughs> it's big and green and it would kill you if it fell out of a tree. It's a, a snooker table. <laughs> um, what's the best thing about Switzerland? Then I I don't know either, but their flag is a big plus. <laughs> <laughs> hey Victoria Yeah Why is four a coward Then I Because he's too squared <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning Get into gear for 2023 With No DC Cars Blackpool Skoda's sales dealer of the year Open 24-7 at NoDC.com Corks 96 now, there was a lovely story this week on Cork Bio of a little uh, Jack Russell called Daisy who went missing from her home and she was missing for over a month and she was found and it's a story that shows the power of social media and that if you have lost your pet to never give up. Now Avril McDonald was a volunteer with Munster Lost and Found Pet Helpline and she was involved in the search to help find Daisy and she joins me now to talk about the search. Good morning Avril. Good morning, Fiona, and thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come on and think, uh, talk about our beautiful Daisy. You're our so little, welcome. Our little, our little adventurer, Fiona. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about Daisy. Like, is this a kind of a very unique story in that a dog would go well, missing for so long? It's it's not so unique that a dog would go missing, but I mean, we get we get calls every day for dogs who have gone missing. Um, but obviously, dogs in our care who go missing would we would all be on alert to find that dog and bring that dog back to safety. So basically, Daisy Daisy went missing, and in Munster, Lost and Found, we're blessed with a wonderful group of volunteers, and we are all volunteers, Fiona. Mm. Um, and um, basically we have volunteers in lots of different areas and we were relying on sightings of, you know, people, the public ringing in, giving us sightings of Daisy. We obviously knew the area she went missing from and when she went missing, we alerted a team and teams went out um, searching, walking the road walking the fields, alerting the public, putting posters in the area, asking people, have they seen Daisy? 
So then we were relying on the public to tell us, oh, you know, we heard dogs barking, unusual barking. We heard, you know, we saw Mm. her in this particular area. And that was the information we were going on, Fiona, to to tell us what areas to search in. And when the people were giving you that information, were you putting that up then on your social media? We were indeed. Yeah, so people were able to know what area to look for in. Absolutely, Fiona. Social media is a wonderful tool, but we, you know, we've also got to remember that not everybody is on social media. Mm. So we all, we also went out and walked the roads. We um, did a lot of posters in all the, the areas we thought she may have been sighted in. We stopped people walking and jogging and cycling on the road and we um, told them about Daisy. We asked them to put our phone number into their phones and, you know, if at all there was any possible sighting at all to to let us know. And that's exactly what happened, Fiona. We were blessed with people ringing us saying, look, we saw her. We don't think it's a, a local dog. No, we often went out and yes, indeed, it was a local dog, Fiona. But we, we had to take every bit of information we were given and follow up on it in the chance that it may be her, you know. Mm. So I I suppose the message is, yes, social media is a fantastic tool, but, you know, there are other means as well. You know, word of mouth is a wonderful alerting the public and the, the, the posters in the areas are, is a wonderful thing to do as well, Fiona. And how was you know? Daisy finally found then? She was missing for 34 days, which is actually incredible. She was missing. I mean, we would love to, for, we would love for Daisy to tell us her little story, Fiona, of all the animals <laughs> and all the people she met along the way and where she got food from and where she slept. But look, she, She's happy and that's the main thing. So basically then um, the, the gentleman actually who Daisy's who Daisy wandered into um, wasn't on social media. So he he had seen one of the posters and he um, she had been coming to his house several times a day for food, Fiona. You know, so she was coming and was quite scared and was going. He was leaving food out for her and he he alerted the helpline that this little strange dog is coming in. She may be the little one missing. So we then uh, put a plan in place and very luckily secured Daisy. You know, so it was was a wonder. She wasn't she was in quite good condition, Fiona, for a little for a little girl, for a little girl who was a, a very scared little dog when she went on her adventure. She came. I, I'm we're not we're still not quite sure what happened to her on her adventure, but she's a very confident, sassy little dog who came back to us, um, you know, uh, quite happy tail wagging. No, obviously, Fiona, our first move was to take her to our wonderful vets and have her vet checked and make sure that everything was okay mm. um, and thank God she was I mean she was a bit she was a bit scruffy looking and a little bit dirty but sure that's that's nothing that a good hot bath wouldn't sort out Fiona and was she you well know, fed um, like were people feeding her on her journey well <laughs> you see people must have been feeding her but yeah. I mean animals are so resilient Fiona you know they really are we have an awful lot to learn from them yeah. and um, she was obviously getting food and water um, well, we knew there was a stream quite near some of the sighting areas, so we weren't worried about water. Now, the volunteer.
volunteers were all leaving food out. Every time we would go out, we would leave food out. Now, we're, again, we don't know whether it was all the lovely happy foxes got the food or whether it was little Daisy got the food. Yeah. But she was getting food. She was getting food from somewhere. Now, we know for sure that the, the gentleman whose house she wandered into, he was leaving food out for her. Right. So we know for sure um, that's why she came in the end, because she was. But I mean, she wasn't underweight or anything, Fiona. It's an incredible you know, I mean, story, isn't it? It's like it's a real it life doggy adventure. It's brilliant. <laughs> is it, Dish? That's what I'm saying. We would love for her to tell us exactly. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I mean, we never gave up hope on her. Munster, Last and Found never gave up hope on her. I mean, we never thought we're not going to find her. Yeah. We just kept going. And as I said earlier, we're just so blessed with a wonderful team of volunteers you know, that um, and everybody took it on board. And, it, you know, a lot of, people used to say, oh, did you find Daisy yet? We're praying for Daisy. Um, you know, and thank God it was a wonderful ending, Fiona. And if people have lost a pet or if people have um, to see a dog wandering around and they believe it might yeah. be straight, contact you guys straight away. Absolutely. And we have volunteers in many different areas, um, you know, so and, and all our volunteers are equipped with, um, you know, microchip scanners. Mm. Again, so vitally important to get the message out there. Put identification tags on your animals, both cats and dogs, and make sure your, your animal is microchipped and that the microchip is registered with up to date details. Vitally important that if you move house, if you change phone, that it's on your list to change the details on the microchip. It makes it so much easier if we scan and the, the, the scanner pings, we then have access to finding out who that animal belongs to and we can reunite the, the animal very quickly. You know, and if so you see that, a so dog that, that you think is missing or is is lost from their owner, um, is it advisable to contact you guys straight away rather than trying to chase after the dog and catch it themselves? Because you're only going to frighten them if you if you chase yeah, after them. I'm just going to say, if you chase after a dog, a dog is only going to be spooked. Mm. The easiest thing to do is to alert the help helpline. We can put it out. It may be a local dog, but we can put it out. And um, we have so many followers on the page who are so good to us to say, oh, it's a local dog lives around the corner or somebody might see it and maybe missing an animal yeah and that isn't it just so wonderful then when we re reunite an animal with its owner both dogs and cats i mean it's it's a it's a really good feeling when you manage to reunite them with the owners fiona I can imagine, you know? and I mean, I can imagine yeah. the the joy that people had when Daisy yes. was discovered, yes. and uh, you know. Oh, I mean, there were people crying, Fiona. <laughs> you have no idea. I mean, people really took it on board and got so involved, and um, there were people crying when we found her. Tears of joy, obviously. Um, Avril, this is like for, the script but, of a movie. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I'll have to, I'll have to get out the laptop. I'll have to give Steven Spielberg a ring, Fiona. <laughs> This is it. This is your favourite fortune now, Avril. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. No, you know, it really, it really lifts the spirits. And it, it, we just want to get the word out there. Don't give up. Yeah. You know, that it's, it, it's, it's, encour it was wonderful for us, but it's so encouraging for other people as well to hear, you know, that little Daisy is safe and sound and that, you know, if your little animal is missing, you know, there are things you can do, you know, but again, I will stress 
please make sure your your animals are, you know, that they're wearing identification tags and that they're microchipped, vitally important, the microchip. I say the magic of a microchip, Fiona, but um, that the details then are up to date as well. Okay. You know? And Avril, the yeah. Munster Lost and Found, you have a Facebook page, you're online as well. We do so indeed. You have a helpline number as well. So if anybody yes, wants to get in touch with you, they can find you online. They can indeed. They can find us online. We're always at the end of a phone. Um, you know, our Facebook page is there. You can see the wonderful work that all the volunteers are doing. Um, you know, obviously we're inundated with calls. We'll do our best to answer every phone call we get. You know, we will get back to you if we miss or if, if we don't answer the phone the first time. We're just dealing with another issue. Please ring again. Okay. You know, and, and obviously um, coming up to Christmas, uh, Fiona, we will be fundraising. We will be selling our wonderful cards, our Christmas cards and our beautiful calendars. And um, we do rely a lot on the fundraising to keep the rescue going, to allow us to do the vital work that we do. And you're doing amazing work. And of course, oh, all thank volunteers. You, Fiona. <laughs> Keep up the yeah, good oh, work, yes. Avril. <laughs> Fiona, really nice to talk to you. Thank you, you so much for we'll giving us the time this... to share the story. No hassle. Yes. You're so welcome. We'll be looking out for this for the movie now in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. It, it, would, it would raise vital funds, Fiona. Thank you so much. All right. That's Avril MacDonald from uh, Munster Lost and Found. Thank you. And a lovely story there about Daisy and Found after 34 days. Now, for something a little bit different, um, the garden, I think like cutting the grass is always a bit of an issue for a lot of people and to get out of that, a lot of people have installed fake grass but Colette Sheridan, you believe that fake grass is um, it's very common. <laughs> Dead common. <laughs> Dead common. I th- I don't think Hyacinth Bouquet would have approved. <laughs> um, what's like you what's heard, your beef you fake of- grass? Well, I mean, I was actually, people thought I was going to get it because um, I was moaning about having to mow the lawn. And in my place, it was no mow May and almost no mow June, July and August, you know. (laughs) So I had this wilderness growing. And then a a couple of friends said to me, like, don't get plastic grass. I said, I had no intention of it. And why would you think I would? And I was kind of worried to be thought of the kind of person who would buy fake grass. But no, it's not. It looks good from a distance, but it's pretty um, tacky, really. Like the Royal Horticultural Society in England announced a ban on artificial grass um, at its events this year, including the Chelsea Flower Show. Um, on the basis that it damages the environment mm. and because fossil fuels are used in the manufacture of it. And um, and then, of course, once you put down the plastic grass, it blocks access to the soil for insects. Mm. Um, but, but despite all that, the market for it is really growing, apparently. It's expected to rise to over five billion next year. And is that because is a lot of people um, either A, don't have time to cut the grass or B, maybe just have a very small piece of uh, garden, if, especially if they live in urban areas and um, it's just easier for them just to have fake grass? Yeah, um, I suppose there's an element of convenience in fake grass. People who are just too overburdened with work or whatever mm. to turn around in the evening and cut the grass. Um, and, and yes, you're right, people with small spaces they probably don't think it's worth their while having a lawnmower and cutting uh, grass. But uh, it doesn't look good. And um, it's not just the wildlife that plastic grass affects. Like the manufacture of it leads to microplastics, 
Yeah. Uh, they're the tiny particles of plastic that are present in our food and water, as well as being in the air. So um, that's what plastic grass kind of emits. And um, so it's also suspected they're car- it's a carcinogen um, because... Um, because of this particle of plastic in it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I I get where, because when I knew I was talking to you, I was looking at my own garden last night and I was like, Jesus, it's a disgrace. (laughs) (laughs) And I think like, because over the summertime, um, you know, we had very little rain, particularly in August. So the whole grass just kind of dried up and it was looking brown and barren. And then now we have too much grass, so we don't have any time to go out and cut the grass. And when it's not raining, we're busy doing something else. So now it's like, as you say, a wilderness. So I was like, God, yeah. Yeah, fake grass sounds Are you tempted? Peeing. Are you tempted to get past the cross? Yeah. <laughs> and I'd say my husband is too because he, I think it's the job that he hates most is taking out that lawnmower and cutting the grass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> mine is know. turning into a wilderness. Well, but sure, <laughs> we could start a movement, Colette. <laughs> no more nicely tended lawns. Bring back the wilderness. Exactly. <laughs> well, of course, the, the whole wild look is in for gardens. Like It's, it's supposed to be good for the... Um, the flora and fauna and That's all the rest it. of it. Uh, yeah. But um, it doesn't look good. But So is it worry. more, for you, the fake grass, it's more um, about, you know, the wildlife and the effects that it has on the environment rather than it being, as you said in your article in the Echo, that it's uh, very common. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was kind of tongue-in-cheek. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's mainly, I think it actually looks tacky, you know. Mm. I just think it doesn't look great. And it's also the, for environmental reasons, it just seems wrong. So do you to, think um, um, plastic flowers then are tacky as well? Absolutely. I, I haven't seen them for ages. Do people still actually buy them? Can you, can well, you get them? My husband now will kill me for saying this, but um, he bought me a plant one time and both of us thought it was real and it was only a while later I was looking at it and I said sure that's not real at all <laughs> yeah, I, you, you sound like me I'm a reluctant gardener or as my brother calls it a resentful gardener I don't I don't, I don't actually enjoy it that much and um, yeah do you know what you know. it's lovely when you have the time and I, I could while yeah. away hours out in the garden and you know planting stuff or whatever but it's having the time to do it is the thing it's, it's finding the time, yeah. Yeah. And you kind of welcome the rain when you need to cut the grass. You can say, well, I can't do it now for a while. <laughs> and there's no point in, when it dries, there's no point in taking the lawnmower out immediately because the wet the grass will still be wet. This is so, it. Uh, this is it. Yeah. So that's the one good thing about the winter is that you don't have to cut the grass throughout the winter. That's one yeah. good thing about it. If you could get out but, and just um, do one big cut and then that's you done for a couple of months. You can just uh, relax yeah. then. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Claire, thank you so much for joining me on the Opinion Line. And if there's anyone out there who has fake grass and would like to argue their case for it, if they think it's an absolute joy and the best thing they ever did, you can get in touch and let us know 0818 96 96 96 or you can text WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Now, at the start of the show, I was talking all things Halloween and we've had um, some messages in from people and I will get back to them, people talking about the supernatural, but... I'm going to go down to Lep, where they have the annual Scarecrow Festival, and it's back this year. And Ruth Ann Sheehan joins me now to talk about it. Good morning, Ruth Ann. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm delighted to see that the Scarecrow Festival is back to Lep this year because it's um, it's fantastic. The amount of scarecrows that you have around the place is just um, incredible. It really it is. is. It's phenomenal and, and we're so thrilled. We were actually uh, in full swing as well last year, albeit 
outside and I think that's why we're we're quite fortunate with this type of festival because it's largely outdoors so it was a great respite last year to, to have it back and with that we had huge crowds and as you mentioned <laughs> we had an absolutely enormous uh, amount of scarecrows they outnumber us now as the years <laughs> go by and particularly and particularly this year again I mean we're a small village we're, we're about 200 but, I mean, don't be surprised to see that we're, we've doubled in size oh, over brilliant. the past week, especially. And, mean, uh, it was started seven years ago. Um, and it's just, as you say, it was started uh, by Rita Ryan in 2015. Right. She wanted to crack and, cu- and kill for the village. But it's just exactly. a bit of light, loaded, you know. It? it has, it has. And I'm, I think we're, we're kind of taken aback and we're fascinated in one way. But I think what it boils down to, it's just, such a simple concept uh, and it's all community based and everybody gets involved and I think it's an opportunity not only just to visit, it's something you do to family but the making of the scarecrows is a great little family occasion as well because people get together the kids get stuck in and I know it's largely focused on children and children's events but Mm. Really, it's about us. (laughs) Sorry kids. (laughs) It just gives us whether it's coming up with the notions and just getting carried away with them because that's what this this is festival about. It's getting a notion and just running with it and not being afraid just to, you know, just to try it on. And sure, look, if it doesn't work out, what harm? You know, so there's no fear of failure or or, or feeling foolish. It's it's about just having a bit of joy and try to get that across to people and to show off the village as well and, and the local surrounds and that's really it because it's not just people. Yeah. people in the village who experience this you've got people from all over coming to, to see the, sca- the scarecrows they do exactly I mean we've had, pe- we've had people from Sligo we've had people from you know further up north uh, and Galway and everywhere and definitely the local surrounds that the, the local towns and villages and schools get heavily involved and then we have the witches dance which was an intro- I suppose it was introduced really a couple of years later around 2017 I would say so one of the the ladies who was one of the founding members, if you will, of the festival, um, really just fell in love with this German uh, witches dance. Well, she, uh, a German background herself, Tony McDermott was her name. Hmm. Um, and it was something she really wanted added. Uh, and so it came about. And Tony passed away, unfortunately. But that's, that piece of music, that dance is really in memory of her. And it's amazing to hear how people speak about her. Like, she's become, like, nearly a legend, you know? I mean, she was a woman who was great for midsummer parties, for really doing an awful lot to the local community. And she had such an energy. And it's kind of, with a lot of pride, we, we kind of hold on to hmm. her, her bravery and things, you know what I mean? And getting really stuck in. And, you know, she was one of the people who pushed for the park in the village and you know a lot of the funding from the, the Scarecrow Festival and the selling of tickets all went towards that park you know and it's it's just a lovely thing and I think we've, we've great pride in that and it makes us think we would love to have that mark on our own community um, and, and that witch's and dance that, the Lep yeah. Coven um, you've been rehearsing at the Drumbeg Stone Circle oh, and you've posted a video of that on YouTube I was watching it last night <laughs> it's very enjoyable I'd say <laughs> it's <laughs> I'm sure people are very amused by it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'd say it was we, great crack doing it though. It was, it was lovely. I mean, mm. the, the group of women have grown over the years and, you know, we've become really close friends. Uh, it's amazing. And we don't take it too seriously. However, we, we, we do respect our local area and we're very, very proud of, mm. of the Stone Circle and its history and, 
being a, a place of worship, albeit sun worship for, for um, winter solstice. It's a place, you know, for millennia that has been connected to celebration. So it was lovely to to do that video and, and for us to make it ourselves. Again, we, we kind of make all, all of our you know, all of our uh, merchandising and everything ourselves. We try to keep it with the community. It gives us the opportunity, I suppose, to mm. learn new skills, if you'd call that a skill. But, <laughs> you know, we, as I said, we give it a go and we have great fun trying. Well, well fair play um, to you. It's a fantastic <laughs> festival. And I believe there's even a witch coming all the way from Cape Clear to compete for the prize, the top prize. Oh, I've heard. I've, there's been there's many rumours going about <laughs> about all the, the... We've got Star Wars characters visiting as well. So... You know, and, and I suppose just to mention that over the weekends, the, the the main events for children will be this weekend being Halloween and the long weekend and the following. So, you know, we've got mm. um, book readings in the hall. There's uh, puppet shows. There's face painting. And of course, there's the witches dance. I have to mention that on Sunday. And Monday, then we've got, you know, there's walks in the wood in Morris Wood talk about the origins of Samhain uh, I think that's very very enjoyable there's lots of fun characters that are going to appear from all around the place there so that's a great that's a great um, op- option as well for entertainment so yeah Dan, it sounds amazing yeah and hopefully you'll have a large turnout again this year for the Lep Scarecrow Festival it's great well done to everybody and enjoy the weekend the lines are live and we're ready to talk can we just talk Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ on this uh, bank holiday Friday weekend, uh, coming into the weekend. And it is, of course, the, the jazz weekend. And I will be speaking to DJ Jenny Green now in a few minutes. But before that, we have been talking about all things Halloween and Samhain. And some of your comments that have come in about the supernatural. Jen says, my son had an imaginary friend when he was about four or five. And he used to talk about the friend all the time and play with him up in his room. One day I asked him the name of his imaginary friend and he told me very confidently that his name was Mossy. Mossy was my grandfather's name. He died a few months before I was born in 1988 and I never met him. No one in my family ever spoke about him as it was so long ago and my grandmother, who spoke about him frequently, had also passed many years previously. No idea where my son got the name Mossy from as it's not a very popular name these days is very spooky. Jen, that is very, very spooky. It's really put the chills up me. Um, and they say that children can spot things, don't they? And that they can see things. Um, so, yeah, that is very, very strange, Jen. Thank you for that. And Kate says, I do believe in the supernatural. I believe there's a presence in some houses and you get this eerie and chilly feeling, especially if something dark happens in its history. You were talking about the seances and the ghost hunters. They have very modern machinery now that shows up other energies. So you have to be thinking having said that I'd always be very practical if we were out and saw an old building and there was a noise I would believe it might be a field mouse or something also if I really can't find something I'd say mum if you help me find it I would really appreciate it and sure enough I'd find it by the end of the day they as in late relatives don't want to see you frustrated they want to see you enjoy life too thank you so much for that Kate um, and keep your comments coming in to us on 0818 96 96 96 or you can text or whatsapp 0833969696 now Jenny Green is playing two sold out shows in Cork for the Jazz Weekend and she joins me now good morning Jenny 
Hey Fiona, how are you? I'm very well. Have you got any supernatural stories? <laughs> I don't. But I was sitting. I was sitting in a rather dark room at the back of my house when I was listening to those other ones. I was like, maybe I should sit in a different spot. <laughs> if you hear any weird noises now during the interview, it's not us playing a trick on you, Jenny. <laughs> no, well, I just hope no one runs up behind me here. You know, I'll let you know if they do. So, Jenny, it's great to have you on the opinion line this morning. And um, you're coming down to Cork. You're playing in the Opera House on Saturday, and you're playing. Cypress Avenue on Sunday and they're sold out you're you're hugely popular here in Cork Jenny uh listen I mean Cork is kind of it's kind of my I was going to say it's my second home but it's actually nearly like my first I mean I'm obviously not from Cork but I've I've always played in Cork my career kind of started playing down in the likes of the Savoy and places like that and I just have kind of such a strong connection to the place and then even you know my family lived down there as well which they didn't in the early days but they've Mm. moved from Dublin down there oh really (laughs) it really yeah I've kind of got like my sister lives down there and she's married and uh, my parents moved down a few years ago so Cork is kind of it's definitely feels like home whenever I go down there Amazing, because I was wondering like, if you're coming down now for the weekend and you're playing Saturday and you're playing on Sunday, you'll obviously have a chance to wander around uh, the streets of Cork and so- soak up the atmosphere and-, and see the music, but sure, you'll probably be staying with your family. <laughs> uh, well, listen, no, I mean, we'll, we'll probably, we'll stay in the city now for, for the weekend and go around, but um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely get a chance to, to go and see them. It's just... Um, it's just such a, a pleasure to come down to Cork. Mm. I, I just love it so much. And particularly when you have, you know, an event such as this weekend, which is just the streets are kind of alive. And even as, you know, in the in the news reports there, when you were hearing from people, this is the first year where it's really going to feel like a proper jazz festival that it used to be before the restrictions. I mean, we had it last year, but it was still a little bit, people were a bit cautious and you were a bit, you know, edgy around the mm. place. Whereas this feels like, all restrictions are gone and this is going to be the the jazz festival that we all have wanted for the last few years. Absolutely. And it's back with a bang. And I think one of the things that's really noticeable about the Jazz Weekend, and it's really changed over the last couple of years in that, you know, before it used to be just jazz music and very much jazz music, but now it's all different types of music. It is. And, you know, I don't know, I, I was trying to detect in the tone of your voice whether you thought that was a good thing or not. Because well, I always year, loved it anyway. I just went out for the crack. Yeah, I think it is. And um, and every year when I get booked, I, there's normally stuff online going, since when is Jenny Green jazz music? I was like, here we go again. Like, But, you know, to be fair, there is so much um, music that kind of caters for all tastes over the course of the weekend. And there's so much jazz and particularly during the day, I mean, last year when we were there, we walked down the streets and I think just around the end of Washington Street, there was an incredible jazz band over from the UK and there was just hundreds of people just standing watching. And, you know, even in like the River Lee and the hotels and they have so much um, jazz on and live music. Mm. And it's kind of it's great. I mean, obviously, yes, technically it's the jazz festival, but it feels like more of a of a general festival on top of that now, too. So it kind of it caters for everyone, which I think is kind of the magic of it. And that's what that's right. And that's what you were just saying there, that like, even if you don't particularly like jazz music, you might just come across these bands and they're amazing live. And it's just the whole atmosphere of it. I think that's it. I mean, you're walking down a street and you're suddenly drawn to something that, at, at, you know, a band that you didn't think you'd have had any interest in. And as you're standing there, you're like, this is incredible. And and that's certainly my experience of it every year. And and that's why this year, particularly, I'm just I'm so looking forward to just getting down there and feeling, you know, like, I mean, I think last year when we were there, 
everywhere had sort of opened again, but it was cold and everyone had to have all the windows and doors open and you were out there with three coats on <laughs> and a drink. So yeah. it'd, be, it'd be kind of nice to feel a bit normal again because last year was my my first gig back when they reopened. I remember just yeah, was in the Opera House. I remember walking out, go, just feeling a bit of a panic because yeah. none of us had done this in so long. You know, it's it's kind of, we've gone from nothing now to 100, which is brilliant, but it does take an adjustment as it, well. It does, because I remember last year as well, just when the restrictions were lifted and I went to McFlannery in the Opera House and everybody was kind of, you know, nobody wanted to be near each other, even though there was no restrictions. Everybody was looking mm. around to see if people had their masks on. People were kind of like you know, sneaking a drink underneath their mask. And it was like, no, I can take my mask off. And it was just this really <laughs> weird vibe. <laughs> like, people didn't know what to do. It's like when you, it kind of, I would equate it to sometimes if you go to a, a foreign country and you're not sure what the customs are there. It felt like that when the restrictions were slightly lifted because you were like, I don't know, am I allowed to do this? Should I have my, should I not? Should I stand there? Will I go near them? Or am I, can I take it off now? It was just, mm. you know, and you kept expecting someone to give out to you. I know, that was it. And thankfully all of that has gone and we're back to um, being able to enjoy gigs. And you are playing at the Opera House and Cypress Avenue. They're two very different gigs. So are they going to be, or two very different venues. So are they going to be two very different gigs or are they going to be kind of the same? Yeah, no, I mean, there'll definitely be different gigs. It kind of, I, I sort of always feel that kind of pressure when I'm down there because I don't know if some of the same people might go on the second night and I don't want them <laughs> to say, God, I, this is exactly what I listened to last night. Yeah. Um, so no, I kind of would, I would, I, you know, I, I kind of pick the music accordingly sort of to the, to the night into the venue. So uh, both nights will be completely different. Um, but I'm looking forward to going down there and even there's some other acts that are on over the weekend that I'll, you know, I'm hoping to get down to Pillow Queens are doing the earlier show in Cypress Avenue on the Sunday when I'm playing. Mm. So I definitely want to go and see them. And then the other gig that unfortunately is clashing with mine, uh, who I'd love to see, is King Kong Company because they're on in the Opera House on the Sunday night, which yeah. is going to be an incredible gig. And we actually just played a song of theirs there in the last hour and we gave away some tickets to that as well. So um, again, the Opera House, amazing gigs all over the weekend. And Jenny, for you, um, I think when you went, I was reading up last night and I couldn't believe that it was, was it 2016 when you and the RT Concert Orchestra first played at the Electric Picnic and it was supposed to be only one kind of gig and it went, it was so popular that it just grew and I think it really opened up the whole dance music to a whole different audience. Yeah, I suppose it did. Yeah, it was 2016. It's amazing to think. Um, and, and it was, you know, it was one of those little moments without a huge amount of uh, a lead in time for us. There wasn't we didn't get a lot of notice. It was a sort of a quick turnaround of a gig that we thought would be an absolute disaster. And mm. thankfully, <laughs> um, it wasn't. Now, I didn't feel too much pressure because it was people were already going to Electric Picnic. This was a tent that wasn't meant to be open. So I thought no one's bought tickets to see us. Yeah. Um, but it was actually, I think, 11,000 people turned up um, wow. that night for it. And it was it was an amazing gig. And when we finished, um, I actually went away on my honeymoon just afterwards. And I yeah. thought that was the end of it. And it was only when I was away, I got a call to say that we're going to be doing three arena. And <laughs> sure, we're, we're still we're still kind of doing it. But yeah, I mean, it definitely, you know, I mean, Pete Tong certainly opened it up when, mm. when he did it um, over in the UK um, with the Heritage Orchestra. Um, so, you know, I'm certainly not, it's, we didn't invent the idea, but mm. um, definitely I think dance music, other uh, unlike other genres of music, it kind of appeals to everybody. And particularly when it's mixed with orchestral, there's something very euphoric about it. Yeah, and um, I mean, like some of the I, songs that you play are songs that we would have grown up with in the 90s and the noughties. Yeah. So there's that nostalgia to it as well. 
There is. And a lot of those dance songs that we all grew up to, like at the time when you think back, like they were kind of, that's what was on the radio. That was chart mm. music. It wasn't even considered, you know, specialist dance music as such. Um, but I, it, it certainly, you know, has taken on a life of its own over the past sort of six years, even though we lost two with the pandemic. But uh, particularly, I think our, you know, aside from the first one in Electric Picnic, I think our best one ever um, is still always the marquee. There's just like, there's something about... Cork people that it's very hard to put your finger on, but it doesn't exist outside of the county. And I I'm, I don't mind if someone from Dublin goes out to me for that. It's true. It is true. <laughs> We're a bit more reserved here. Cork, it's like, let, let's be having it. Let's just put the hair, let's let the hair down and let's just go for yeah. it on the night out. Nobody cares. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and will you be playing the marquee again? I know you've played a couple of times and for people who maybe haven't been able to buy tickets for the gigs this weekend, will you be coming back to Cork again? Have you anything around Christmas time maybe? Uh, I've I've nothing around Christmas time now. This will kind of be it for a little while, and mm. you know, next summer, yes, hopefully is is the answer to that. Nothing official yet, but but we're we're hoping so. And I'm, hopefully, if we do, we'll we'll see you there, Fiona. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I know I didn't get my act together for the jazz weekend, and it's only now I'm saying, why didn't I book tickets? <laughs> well, listen, you have my number now, so you know where I am. BFF. I look after you. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> But Jenny, listen, well done. It's great that you're coming back to Cork and that you're playing the two gigs. Will you be playing more with the um, the, the orchestra? Like you were saying there that it's still going. Have you got plans to keep touring with them? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is still it is still going at the moment. Um, you know, we haven't had a chance to sit down after this year and, and really go through our, our plans for the mm. next couple of years. So that's kind of in the pipeline at the moment. So as, as soon as I know... Uh, I, I will let you know. Brilliant, brilliant. Jenny, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Enjoy your weekend in Cork. Have great gigs, but also enjoy wandering around the streets and catching the atmosphere and soaking up all the music that we have here in Cork over the weekend. I will. Thanks a million, Fiona. Thank you. That was, of course, DJ Jenny Green. Now, Marie Tuig from the 96FM newsroom has been out and about talking to musicians and jazz fans as thousands of people descend on the city for a weekend of fun and music. Well, the first jazz festival was in 1978. That means to up to this year, there will be 43 festivals, excluding one year, which was the COVID in 2020. And have you been involved in every single one of those? Absolutely. Um, I suppose if I want to use my claim to fame would be I'm the only jazz musician who has played at every single festival since 1978. There's nobody else. So I'm the last man standing. And for a festival that's gone on for so many years, it's still so wonderful. And every year they they knock it out of the park, don't they? Jazz is a very um, minority sport or music, you know. Um, But uh, I suppose the Cork Festival has succeeded because of a couple of reasons. One, it was, it's over the bank holiday, so people could kind of, maybe had too much drink on a Sunday, they'd say, oh, well, I'd be driving back to Dublin on a Monday. That's why the Dublin people come down with the festival. The other thing was that, of course, all the venues for the festival are within walking distance, so they can park their car up for the weekend, just simply walk around to where they want to see. And I think finally then, there's something happening everywhere. Every pub in the, the country, or sorry, every pub in the city, um, and every restaurant and every uh, establishment like hotels, etc., that's where it's happening. And the boost that it brings with it, both, I suppose, from an economic perspective, but the joy that it brings as well to the city. Well, is mu- I mean, you're probably a musician like I am, and music is the, is the soul of your body, you know. Um, it, if you can express yourself musically, 
life is not as really as difficult, you know. And looking back over the years, could you pick a highlight or maybe a few highlights um, since the very first jazz festival right up to this year? Well, nobody ever ever expected. There's a man coming out there now, Ray Kremen. Say hello to Ray. He was on the original committee. Hi, and Ray. also my bass player for 30 years, Ray Kremen. So, Ray, you're really looking forward to this year's jazz festival? I am indeed, as always. And looking back over the years, it's been such a wonderful festival, hasn't it? Absolutely unbelievable festival. And did you say that you were in the, the committee when it first started? Yeah. Yes, with, with Harry, Harry and myself. So to see the festival where it is now today, are you proud to see it? Very proud, very proud of it. And it has been a great experience. And um, Ray, if you could pick a highlight maybe over all the, the many years of jazz, what would you say would be one of the standout moments for you? Well... The Met Tavern was always a standout moment. Any, any morning that we played there and you had guests from all over the world, they came from the Opera House to play with us and we enjoyed it. It was fantastic. And uh, to this day, do you still go out and take it all in when the oh, festival's we'll on? We'll be down watching Harry during, over the weekend. So, Harry, I see you're really looking forward to playing this weekend, do you? My whole life revolves around music. Uh, and golf, I should say, but music is number one. So I, I try to practice every day, try to develop my skills. I like to sing, one thing or another. Yes, over the weekend we'll be in the Shelburne Bar, and then we have um, on Saturday we're in the Metropole, in the Douglas Vance room, with two big heavy hitters. Um, Jenny Howe, who originally came from Blarney Street, is one of the top jazz singers in the UK now. And Cormac McCarthy, who is you probably would have heard of, he's a wonderful um, uh, conductor, piano player, composer. He's just phenomenal. So we're looking forward to playing with him on Saturday night um, at 11 in the Metropole and on Sunday at 7.30 in the Metropole. Fantastic. And so over the, the many years that you've been involved in jazz, could you pick out some of your, your highlights from it? Well, every year is a highlight, to be honest, because we're doing something that we love, you know. And I suppose um, meeting people like Ella Fitzgerald, Buddy Rich, um, Panama Francis, Turk Murphy, uh, people like uh, Oscar Peterson. Great story about Oscar Peterson. Oscar, we got after seven years. He was to play one year and he couldn't make it. We eventually got him after seven years. I was on the committee at the time. He arrived in Cork. We were saying, what's the great man going to say? Not a word. Not a word. So we brought him up to the Opera House for a sound check. Brought him back to the Metropole Hotel. Not a word. So he arrives before the gig downstairs in the Opera House. What's his first three words? Where's the check? Did you ever think or did you always know that the jazz festival was always still going to be so wonderful? No, we never expected you know why it happened. There was a Cancelled Bridge Congress and the great Omar Sharif of Lawrence of Arabia. Um, and um, he was to be the leading man. And Jim Mountjoy, who was the, the director marketing for the Metropole, um, we were playing there 10 years before every, every Monday night in what was known as the River Room. It's the back bar in the Metropole. So I saw these four people coming up the stairs. I recognised Jim, of course. 
and there was Pierce Harvey, another gentleman from the Douglas Credit Union, his name fails me now, and also a lady. And Jim was beckoning to me, you know. I went over, I stopped the gig, went over and he says, Harry, I'm in trouble for the October bank holiday. It was the first year of the bank holiday because Michael O'Leary, the minister, made that a bank holiday, the Monday. So he said, he says, can you do some more gigs over the weekend? I said, I can, but you know, that's a lot of gigs. Maybe we should get a few other gigs. And I said, what about a mini kind of a jazz thing? So that's how the whole thing developed. Now, to be fair, Jim Mountjoy and Pierce Harvey went away and got a sponsor, namely in that case, John Player. Niall O'Flynn was the director of John, and he got, he got, I think he got five grand as a sponsorship. That was in 1978, and that was the start of the jazz festival. That Isn't is that a great brilliant. story? That is brilliant. It so is, yeah. very much looking forward now to a busy weekend for yourself. Yeah, well, I have um, nine gigs, but I'm at an age where I can... I'm featuring really some fantastic artists. Jenny Howe, for instance, as an example. Her, her nephew, um, Dylan Howe, on tenor. But Jenny is an accomplished um, jazz singer from London. And we have the great Cormac McCarthy. I think I might have mentioned him already. And, of course, my other... The, the members of my band, um, Patrick Lynch on drums, Brian Hyland on bass, uh, Cormac McCarthy on piano, um, 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 Patrick Macbet on piano, uh, and George Hassan from Derry on trumpet. I think that's just about covers it. And before I come to Mick Carr to talk about all things jazz, we were talking about um, all things spooky earlier on in the show. And Jimmy was in touch to say PJ was on last week about scary street names. I grew up in Ballyfehan and I remember Tremor Road being called, as was the name then, Hangdog Road. I wonder why it was called that. I wonder why, Jimmy. I don't have the answer to that. But if anybody does, they can text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. And maybe somebody, we were talking to Fiona McAuliffe earlier about um, some of the history to behind some of the places. So maybe there is some sort of a history behind uh, why that was called Hangdog Road. Thank you for that, Jimmy. Now, Mick Carr from 96FM Select Irish. Good morning, Mick. Hey, how's it going, Fiona? Mick, um, it's a fabulous weekend of music around the city for the Jazz Weekend. What's going on? What's happening? Um, well, there's... I don't know. There's 30 ticketed shows, uh, many of which are sold out at this stage. Mm. There's 72 locations, which is pretty amazing when you think of the size of the city centre. It kind of shows you the entire city centre is sort of activated by the jazz. Yeah. Um, you know, it stretches down to Kinsale, as is kind of the tradition with the jazz festival as well. So there's there's gigs happening, you know, between here and the coastline. Um, some of it, as I said, is sold out. You were speaking to Jenny earlier. Mm. You know, Jenny's shows sold out. Um, Hermeto Pascal, who will be brilliant at the Everyman. Tickets are gone for that. Uh, New Power Generation, which I'm kind of looking forward to seeing myself. They used to be Prince's backing band back in the day. Yeah. Um, there's a handful of tickets left for that. That's on tomorrow night at the Opera House. Um, and I kind of, I the first time I ever came to Cork, Fiona, would you believe, was to see Prince at Parky Queen, way yeah. back in the day. Wow, I think so, he was amazing. Um, <laughs> he was, he was fantastic. So you know, and that tomorrow night, the new power generation is going to be purely playing the music of Prince as well. So and, and they're know, on I, before I, Jenny I Green, imagine. are they? Yes, yeah, they're the early show. So Jenny's doing the late night one. Um, and like if people don't have tickets for those sold out shows and they haven't, they're like myself and they haven't made out a plan for the weekend, can they still come in and enjoy the music? 
Well, there's, yeah, there's a music trail, uh, which if you check out the website, guinnessjazz.com um, or guinnesscorkjazz.com, you'll see what's free around town. And um, I mean, the Metropole is always a great bet, you know, on McCurtain mm. Street, which is kind of the, the, the heart and soul of the jazz going back 44 years. So like the Met would have a number of uh, rooms and venues that are playing shows all day, every day, late into the night. I mean, if you manage to get a lock in at the Leopard at the Metropole, <laughs> uh, you're laughing. You know, it'll it'll go on until the wee hours. Um, and the jazz, the trail looks fantastic. As I said, seventy two venues. There's jazz on the street. Um, Emmett Place tomorrow will have uh, free jazz on Sunday going on during the afternoon. There's actually brass bands, like a number of brass bands from the states, from Ireland, um, from Cork as well. That'll be playing you know, along Patrick Street, along Oliver Plunkett Street, kind of wandering the streets, in fact. So, I mean, you can't but see some jazz <laughs> somewhere in town. You mentioned um, the Emmett Place stage. Is there a market there as well? I know other years they've had a market there as well for, like, different kinds of food and stuff. Um, I, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure. There's going to be stalls there, so and there'll be a bit of food, whether it's a mm. full-on food market, I can't tell you, but definitely there's going to be some food on the street. So, you know, you can stop by have a bite, catch a, few, catch a bit of free jazz. All we um, need now is for the rain to hold off. <laughs> well, look, you know, it's it's Ireland and it's the jazz and it's going to rain at some stage. But I, I, I think that's sometimes half the buzz. You know, you're running around town in and out of venues and, you know, it's it's kind of got that, you know, nip or frenzy in the air, you know, of just trying to duck in and catch some music. So, I mean, the hotels, there's our, like River, um, the River Lee Hotel, has some great stuff going on during the afternoons as well. So it's 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 all over. And Mick, is it suitable to bring kids in then? Because, well, not obviously at night time, but um, if you wanted to bring the kids in during the day and wander around, like it's um, like, can they go into the pubs and stuff like that as well? It's not like, you know. I, 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 I've had kids at the jazz before, so mm. I, I think it's kind of up to the pubs. I mean, as, as a rule of thumb, I'd say, you know, after 6, 7 p.m., places start getting pretty jointed, um, you know, and you wouldn't want kids in a, in a place that's, you yeah. know, uh, out, out the door with people. But I think during the day, particularly like the hotels, you know, I, I think the Mets are always a lovely place to wander in with your kids because you'll find a bit of, you know, a bit of variety, a bit of space, you know, you can sit down and, and enjoy a bit of jazz. Mm. But like, you, you know yourself, as the night goes on, um the place just get most places are thronged, you know. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I it's not a bad kids thing. In, kids during the day. I brought the kids in one year, um, but there was a buggy involved, and trying to get around the crowds was a nightmare. But they're a little bit older now, so I think yeah. I'll bring them in tomorrow during the day and uh, soak up a bit of the atmosphere, and then hopefully get a babysitter for <laughs> tomorrow night. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. You know, yeah. Well, if you can do that, fair play. <laughs> um, you know. Electric, you know, places like that. I think the afternoon, you know, I, I enjoy the, the Saturday, Sunday afternoon sometimes just going around. You know, you, you might check out five or six different venues in the space mm. of a couple of hours. And I don't know, soak up a, a bit of variety. And like as Jenny was saying earlier on, there's there's quite a lot of actual jazz yeah. <laughs> this year as well. So, you know, it, it, you know, I, I always think it's good to see what's happening on the jazz scene. And, you know, there's there's good international acts. There's some great Irish jazz actually as well around the town. Yeah. And is that the thing, Mick? I think for a while there, it went kind of, um, kind of veering away from jazz. There was only a very, there was only a kind of a small amount of jazz, but there seems to be a good mix now. I think we've got the balance right, have we? That there's like a, a, a lot of jazz to tie in with the name, but then there's a lot of other kind of genres around yeah. the place as well. 
yeah, I, I think it's pretty eclectic overall. Um, not strictly like a hardcore jazz festival, but there's not many of them in the world anyway. Mm. Um, I think the Bookers, um, there's the, you know, there's a new Booker there this year. Um, and I think he's got a good feel for, you know, the jazz scene, not just in Ireland, but internationally. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of hybrid jazz acts then as well. So I, I think it warrants the title jazz festival. You know, it, it can say that. But at the same time, maybe jazz isn't everyone's taste. So, you know, there's enough going on in town to keep mm. people interested as well. But like I'd, I'd say for anyone who thinks jazz isn't, you know, their kind of thing, there, there's so many varieties of jazz within that genre. You know, you probably will find something that you actually like in there. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it's worth like all good festivals, you know, go with a with an open mind and, yeah. you know, be prepared to, to find something new and take on something new and, you never know, you might like it. And Mick, a lot of the acts, you know, you said there's a lot from Cork, there's a lot from all over Ireland, but we do, of course, have uh, international acts that come back time and time again. They just love it over here, don't they? They love the festival. Ah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 the perfect city for, a, you know, like an urban sort of city festival because it's, it's, it, it's easy to get around. You've got so much going on in the centre of town. There's a lovely vibe in Cork as well. You know, like I've... We've, we've been to different festivals here over the years and it's just, you know, people like coming, they can kind of chill out. It's not as manic as, you know, say an electric picnic where there's 80,000 people in a field um, all mm. going mad at the same time. <laughs> you know, there's, which, you know, is, is Cork in a sense over the weekend, but yeah. but there's there's a nice vibe to it. And I think people, like you say, they come back, you know, and you only have to look at, say, you know, the marquee over the years, things like that, you know. Yeah. People have said they love playing here and they, they come back time and time again. Mick, thank you very much. Thanks, Minion. That's Mick from the 96FM Select Irish. And Mairead Tuig from the 96FM Newsroom has been um, out and about and soaking up that atmosphere that Mick was talking about. Good morning, Mairead. Good morning, Fiona. Well, Mairead, you were up at the airport. <laughs> I was. Oh, my God, mighty crack up there. So the airport, you're a new partner with the Jazz Festival this year. And I tell you, it felt like, you know, Christmas time, you're going in and there's just a great buzz around. It was unreal. The minute you go in the door, you're hearing the jazz music. So the swing bandits are playing and Lamarosh just landed off the plane, had a quick coffee as far as I know, and then came straight through with their instruments playing and it was just a sight to behold. It was unreal. Like everyone in the airport that maybe weren't expecting it, everyone had their phones out, you know, probably taking Instagram, Snapchats and everything. It was just unreal. Like it's, it's a great way to, to kick off a great weekend. And kicking off the weekend, Mairead, you were in at the launch last night. I was, I was. It was it was lovely now to be fair and there were so many people there and it was great to be back in person. Like I spoke to, to Fiona Collins, who's the chair of the jazz, and she was saying it's it's so nice to now be restriction free this year. It's an open book. You can just go for it and just have fun, you know. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? We were talking to Jenny Green about that as well. Last year they did have the jazz festival back after, you know, after COVID, but there were restrictions and people were still a little bit uncomfortable about going out, but it's uh, back in full swing now. That's it, exactly. And there's so much to look forward to. And I always would have said when I was younger, you know, like if I heard jazz, I would have said, oh no, that's not for me. And then I went and I realised, hold on a second, there's so much more to this festival. It's great fun. There's something for everyone. You've got all the the big fringe, which is, you know, there's the big jazz bus, there's the likes of the airport, Kinsale fringe, there's all of that alongside the headline acts. So 
you just walk through the city any day this weekend and you're bound to come around some corner and there's going to be a jazz band playing or it's just going to be so much fun. And like to think that it's worth around 20 million to the local economy, I mean, that's a great boost after what's been a, a couple of years, of, you know, tough with, with COVID and things like that. Yeah, because I was just going to ask you about that. Like Mick was talking there about the amount of venues that have music in it, but it's the spin-off benefits of the festival as well to the likes of all the shops, the restaurants, cafes. Everybody kind of benefits from the, from the jazz festival. This is it. Like hospitality, it's a massive boost for that sector. You've got hotel rooms being filled. You've got something like 43,000 passengers flying into Cork Airport this weekend. It is, of course, a long weekend as well. So there's, there's so much there to enjoy. We, we all have probably, well, not everyone has Monday off, but, you know, a lot of people will be lucky enough that they'd be able to enjoy each night of the, the jazz. And as I say, the hotel rooms being booked up, you know, restaurants being full, and they are asking people to be patient, you know, and, mm. and to to just enjoy the the whole atmosphere and just take it all in and, and really enjoy it. And the Lord Mayor uh, was speaking at the at the launch last night, Councillor Georgia Ford, and she was going through the, the each kind of level of, of jazzers, you know, so you've got the serial jazzers and then you come right down to the people who sit across the road and they're enjoying their coffee and they're just taking it in from afar. So there's, there's opportunity here for everyone to enjoy it in whatever way they feel they want to, you know. Absolutely. And Mairead, I've no doubt you'll be out and about yourself over the weekend. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Well, enjoy and thank you for that update. That is Mairead Tuig from the 96FM Newsroom.